Hi, good morning, Leoga. Um, good Friday today. It's good to be with you all week. Um, for those of you I don't know, Brooke Boone, um, I have the privilege of just being a part of this Holyoka Collective. It's just such an honor. So um, I get to talk to you from Matthew 27, following along with our um, our prayer journal uh, this week for Holy Week. Um, Matthew 27, it is Good Friday uh, today, and I'm going to read to you Matthew 27 in the voice, 27 through actually 51. Um, I will give a preface when I'm reading this. I learned a lot about the crucifixion when I read a book called Death by Love, and it was written by Pastor Mark Driscoll. Um, and when I learned about it in depth, like I wanted to know the history, I'm kind of a geek when it comes to that. And so this was such a profound uh, teaching and learning for me. I've taught it a number of times since, but it always gets me very emotional because I think we tend to, um, we tend to take the humanity out of Jesus. But Good Friday is the pinnacle of his humanity. He is God, but he is also um, man. And so we find him being persecuted in Matthew 27. He is going, he's been turned over yesterday. We looked at him being turned over by Judas. Um, in the beginning of Matthew 27, Judas tries to reach, he's, he's so overwhelmed with grief and sadness that he tries to give the money back, the 30 uh, silver coins, uh, the the temple, the priests, the high priest won't have anything to do with it. It's blood money, they call it. And so Judas throws the money into the temple. He goes somewhere and he kills himself. So we see that his betrayal doesn't last long. Jesus isn't even dead, uh, has not even been crucified. And Jesus, or Judas is already uh, disconnected and, and winds up taking his life. Okay, so then uh, Jesus goes and Pilate um, is the governor and Pilate is trying to figure out what to do with Jesus. He asks the people, he asks the Jews, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they said, crucify him. He said, it's my, uh, it's my custom to release one prisoner uh, on the Passover. So who would you like uh, released? You want Jesus the Messiah or do you want Jesus Barabbas? And they say Jesus Barabbas. They want the murderer. They want the convicted murderer released and they want the king of the Jews to be crucified. So we pick up here um, in verse 27. I'm reading from The Voice and it says this, the governor's soldiers took Jesus into a great hall, gathered a great crowd and stripped Jesus of his clothes, draping him in a bold scarlet cloak the kind that soldiers sometimes wore. Now let me let me give you this thing. So Jesus is taken into a large hall, so he is now the spectacle. He is stripped naked in front of everyone at all the cat calls, all the pain, all that humiliation. We find Jesus there naked, draping him in a bold scarlet cloak. Let me understand, let me give you some context. Uh, it was wool. So they strip him, they beat him, so he's got open wounds, his bones are showing because of the brutality in which they choose to hurt him, to flog him, to whip him. But they take off of his, they take off his clothes and put this big uh, cloak of wool 
the most irritating thing possible they place on his battered body. So, I mean, I wear wool and I can't stand it and my skin is fine. But to place wool, to place a heavy lidded wool on top of a beaten body. They gathered some thorny vines and wove them into a crown and parched the crown upon his head. They struck the reed in his right, they stuck a reed in his right hand and they knelt before him, this inside out, upside down king. They mocked him with cat calls. So we have not only a great crowd witnessing this, a naked and broken Jesus covered by a heavy weight of wool, the most afflicting um, or the most uncomfortable covering. And then they take a uh, the, the thorns and they weave them into this really uh, kind of, um, the, I don't even know what the word is. It's not even really a crown. It's just sort of thorns kind of woven together. And then what they do is they place it on his head and to make sure it stays, they take their rods and they begin to beat the thorns into his skull. So they don't just place it on there. They don't just mock him, but they strip him. They mock him, they beat him, and they take this crown of thorns and stick it on his head and start beating the crown of his head so that these thorns pierce his skull. I want to tell you this because I think we read this and we go, oh yeah, cool, Jesus. No, Jesus was, Jesus is a man of suffering. We go, oh, we don't, we don't like to be uncomfortable, uncomfortable. The Lord goes all the way. Okay, continue. Hail, King of the Jews, they called him. They spat on him and whipped him on the head with his scepter of reeds. So they took what was in his hands and start beating him over the head. They start putting the crown of thorns into his skull with his own reed as they mock him. They spat on him and whipped him on the head with his scepter of reeds. And then when they had their fill, they pulled off the bold scarlet cloak, dressed him in his own simple clothes, and led him off to be crucified. So they take now the robe off of him, which you know has to be embedded into his bone at this point. They rip that off and then they redress him. Can you imagine the agony? When they're done with that, then they place him underneath the weight of a cross. Now, let me tell you about a cross. Let me tell you about crucifixion for just a moment. It was the most archaic way of dying. It was um, the most brutal. The Romans took it actually from the Phoenicians. And what they would do is they would reuse, wood was very expensive, so they would reuse the wood. There is not a cross for crucifixion that is new wood. It is always recycled. So once somebody dies on the cross, they take the body down, they dispose of the body, but they reuse the cross. Now, let me tell you what happens in crucifixion. They pierce the hands and they pierce the feet and then they have this little tiny, um, almost like a shelf for your tush so that you wouldn't collapse on yourself and suffocate your lungs, right? So if the hands are pinned and the feet are pinned, the weight of the body would collapse on the lungs and it would suffocate the person and they would die quickly. Okay, so it is supposed to be not only barbaric and not only the most horrific way to die, but it is meant to prolong the death. 
So Jesus on the cross, he's there, but he's got this little stool up underneath his tush to prolong the agony. Okay, so they spat on him, whipped him with his head and his scepter of reeds, um, and then they put him on the cross. So when you're on, when when somebody is crucified, not only they lose all their bodily functions. Okay, they lose all of their bodily function. They urinate. They release their bowels. So there's feces that are all over this plate of wood, this stick of wood. It also has is is laden with blood and and feces and people's agony. And Jesus is given a cross, not a new one. He is given an old cross. He is given a piece of wood to shoulder with feces and blood and tears and fear, all of it. And, and so he's given this cross to shoulder then to walk to the hill of Golgotha through a, a town. So he's not only being mocked in the flogging, he's not only being mocked there, but then he's put under the weight of somebody else's feces and blood and fear and tears and sin. And he's told to walk. So he gets this, and let me tell you how much they weighed. Anywhere between 400 and 800 pounds. So we see Jesus in this battered body required to then carry the cross that's not of his own. So he's walking through his beaten and tattered body, right? In, in the passion of the Christ, we see, I think he did such a good job um, kind of understanding this, but the, the torture that they used, the, the instruments of torture, it was um, large, they would do whips and, and hooks and stuff, but one of their favorite archaic tools was a, uh, at the end of a, um, a chain would be a large metal ball. So it would be anywhere between eight and 12 pounds. And on the end of this ball, they would have fish hooks that were at least an inch or two long that, that were hooked, but then they would have the spear at the top. So they are meant to grab on and not let go. So what they're using to flog him is not just his own weed, his own reed that they're making fun of, but these archaic tools of destruction. So undoubtedly, when that thing hit Jesus, it not only broke bones, but it cleaved into the flesh and the muscle across the bone or near the bone. And when it was ripped off, it took with it chunks of bone and chunks of skin. So undoubtedly, Jesus is carrying a four to 600, 800 pound cross on empty, like on on exposed bone and broken bone, and it's not even his. I just wanna give you a little context of what your Christ has done for you. Okay, as they were walking, they found a man called Simon of Cyrene and forced him to carry the cross. They forced him to help Jesus because Jesus was struggling. Amen? Jesus was struggling. When Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he invites, he's, he's required, like he's showing his own vulnerability. How Simon had to come and help him get the thing of destruction even to the hill. Eventually they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. There they gave him a drink, wine mixed with bitter herbs. He tasted but refused to drink it. And so they had, they had him crucified. They divided the clothes off of his back by drawing lots. And they sat on the ground and watched him hang. Verse 37. They placed a sign over his head. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And they crucified two thieves next to him. One at his right hand and one at his left hand. 
Passerby shouted curses and blasphemy at Jesus. They wagged their heads at him and hissed. So he is alive. He is on the cross. He's still alive. He's engaging in the torture that is crucifixion and passerbys are coming by. What's interesting here is that they gave him a drink. Now, we have to understand sometimes before I learned this, I thought that this was mercy. I thought that the Roman soldiers were like merciful in some way, but these are archaic human beings. They, they have no compassion. They're not interested in making Jesus comfortable. So what is this? What is this process? When I learned this, it blew my mind. So let me just share this with you. In this book called Death by Love, Mark Driscoll goes to the Holy Land and spends three or six months just really learning about it. So he was telling me, and not me, I was learning from his book and from his videos, that in ancient times, Roman soldiers were a bit like royalty. They were well thought of, they were well uh, dressed, they were well fed, they were well um, taken care of. And they would carry a number of things on their body. They would carry their, their weapons, they would carry their um, shields, they would also carry a branch of hyssop and a sponge. And it's not for drinking, it was for actually cleaning the feces off of their body after they went to the bathroom. So let me give you uh, an understanding. So um, there, was, there were these large outdoor bathrooms for rich people. And they were just basically large metal slabs of uh, concrete, not metal, uh, marble slabs of, of concrete, and they would cut holes in it. And they would approach these places, these outhouses, if you will, and there would be a slave that, that they would give their branch to of hyssop and their sponge. And what they would do is they would go and they would go to the bathroom and the slave would go underneath with their own hyssop branch and their own sponge and they would dip it in the sour vinegar and then wipe the bottom of the soldier. This is part of their garb. This was part of, the, of what they walked around with. So you have to understand that when these Roman soldiers offer Jesus sour wine on a hyssop branch with a sponge, he, they are literally taking that which they wipe their own feces with. That they won't even touch themselves, that they give to a slave so that they don't have to defile themselves. They decide to take that out in the ultimate act of, of um, ridicule. They take what they use to wipe their own feces and they dip it in the sour wine and they place it on the mouth of Jesus. I'm so struck by that. Jesus was not dead. They do it a second time later on in the scripture. And at that point, at that point, Jesus breathes his life, gives up his life after the second time they take the feces of man to the mouth of God. I'm so struck by Jesus in this moment. I'm so struck that Jesus cries out, gives his life back to the Father after he feels that he has been so forgotten. He says, Lord, God, why have you forgotten me with the stench of human feces on his mouth? 
the very mouth of God who breathes life, who sustains life, who speaks sweetly and tenderly, gives up his own life with the literal stench of humanity species on his lips. I'm so, I want to say that you do that. I want to say that I do that. That the one who will go all the way, I mock. I don't want to, I, I, I try not to, but I'm human. And that's what humanity does is it mocks its savior. And so I just wanna give you the context. In a lot of different world religions, they brush over the death to get to the resurrection. There's no reverence for the pain. There's no reverence for the humanity. There's no reverence for what the God of the universe who came to set us free endured. We think, oh, it's Jesus. He didn't endure things. He was whipped. He was, um, he, he had feces on his mouth. Do you understand? He was so, um, disregarded and so in so much pain, but he gives up his own life. He takes charge even with the stench, even with the feces on his mouth, he gives his life over to God. Now, the only reason this is good news is because Sunday's coming, amen? But we can't embrace the gravity, we can't embrace the, the resurrection unless we embrace Good Friday, unless we embrace the, the humility required of God. In verse 49, or in verse 50, and then Jesus cried out once more loudly and he breathed his last breath. At that instant, the temple curtain was torn in half from top to bottom. The earth was shook and the rocks split in two. Tombs burst open and bodies of many sleeping holy women and men were raised up. After Jesus' resurrection, they came out of their tombs, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and showed themselves to the people. When the centurion and soldiers who had been charged with guarding Jesus felt the earthquake and saw the rocks splitting and the tombs opening, they were, of course, terrified. I, I love this. And when Jesus cried out once more loudly, he breathed his last breath. At that instant, the temple curtain was torn in half from top to bottom. In that instant, in the instant that God himself gave himself back to God is the very thing that split the curtain. There is no separation for us because of what Christ has done for us today. The holy temple, the veil has been split. You are without excuse. You have access to the interior kingdom, to the heart of God, to the mind of Christ. But without today, we have no access. So my prayer for you today is that you, um, that you sit in reverence of what God has done for you. Amen. Um, happy uh, Friday. Happy Good Friday. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter. Um, and I pray that tomorrow in the waiting period that it's holy. That you know that God has died. You know he's coming back for whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation. I pray that you give him reverence today and you anticipate the greatness of Sunday tomorrow. Have an amazing day, you guys. Happy Good Friday.